Right, good morning. My name is Eric Martel, and welcome to another episode of Break Away from the Rat Race. And today on the show, we have Todd Salzinger, who is, uh, was a corporate finance executive turned mobile home park investor. And uh, I'm, I, I love mobile home parks, so I'm very excited to have Todd on the, on the, on the call today. And uh, he's the founder of Blue Elm Investment. So Blue Elm is the, the mobile home park operator that's specializing in adding value to and transforming distressed mobile home parks across the country. Um, he's built a ex- uh, very significant expertise in that area, turning neglected mobile home parks into vibrant communities, increasing the availability of safe, clean, and affordable housing across the country. Uh, he's also looking for investors who are looking for above market returns. So, uh, and so, you know, we'll give all the information about how to connect with Todd later on in the show. Uh, but Todd is a firm believer that investing in real estate, in tangible assets, is something that is the most effect- effective way to build wealth, uh, especially in, um, in this economy and in previous economy and any economy. So Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Eric. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, so Todd, I wanted to, uh, I'm very interested in transition. I've talked to a lot of, uh, of people that are, um, you know, they have, they have a full-time job, they save money on their 401k, they do everything they're told to do, and now they're looking 10 years down the road, I'm gonna retire and I have $50,000 $50, in my <laughs> 401k. What am I gonna do, Todd? <laughs> So, <laughs> so you, you, have, you were kind of in a similar situation, corporate finance executive, so obviously you know your numbers, and, and you decided that you need, the best way for you to, to uh, achieve financial freedom and move forward was to basically invest in real estate. So can you right. talk to uh, some of the, our, re, our viewers and, and uh, listeners and say kind of like, how did you make that transition to say that this is what I need to do and this is this decision makes sense. Sure. Well, I, I followed a typical path as a lot of people do uh, in terms of career and investing, graduated from San Jose State, started working in finance and started putting money in my 401k mm-hmm. and followed all of the typical advice, you know, read Money Magazine and Kiplinger's on diversification and looking at average returns over the life of the stock market. And then uh, I went from, you know, the 2000 to 2010 period when the market returns were pretty much flat. And it, uh, it related uh, in great part uh, to putting aside money for my daughter's college plan. Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1998 and in 2000, looked at, did all the analysis in terms of what we thought the cost of college was going to be when she got there, yeah. what our average returns would be. And then during that, uh, during that 10 year period, returns were pretty much flat. I was like, wow, you know, how do you, how do you make up that difference? And how do you, yeah. uh, how do you rely and plan on what are historical averages that don't fall into the same time period? Mm-hmm. That, that happened to you. And then, you know, during that 2008, 2000, uh, 2010 period, the financial crisis happened yeah. where you found a lot of retirees who, if, if you just happened to time it incorrectly and you needed to pull out your money when the market 
was taking a downturn, then yeah. you'd really be stuck. Yeah. So it was during, kind of during that time frame that I started to read a lot of books, started listening to podcasts uh, early on about, uh, uh, you know, kind of early in the podcast days, starting with the real estate guys uh, back in 2009, 2010 and uh, started to attend some of their events and meetups and found people who were investing out of state. Mm -hmm. And when that idea first came up to me, I just thought, yeah, that's impossible. How can you not yeah, have yeah. the ability to drive by your property, check up on it, see it every day and know that it's there. Yeah. But over, uh, uh, you know, over a year or so period, uh, I took a trip to Dallas, looked at a lot of different neighborhoods and talked to brokers and property managers and insurance agents and other people that had done remote investing and found out that it really was possible. So uh, at that point, I, around 2013, I actually took the leap and purchased my first properties in the DFW market. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, yeah, exactly. I mean, we kind of live in a bubble here and we're both in California and then we kind of, we think that, oh yeah, this is, uh, you know, you can't buy houses at this price and it doesn't make right. sense. You think that nothing makes sense. I moved here in 2000 and uh, I was looking to invest. Uh, I had a lot of uh, stock options from the company I was working with and I was looking to invest in rental properties and the numbers really didn't make sense. <laughs> the returns were not that good. I mean, I could, you can make anything cash flow. You put enough money into it. Yeah. Right. It's, you can make anything cash flow, but then you look at your return on, on the investment and it's like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I might as well just, you know, buy bonds or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it, like, like you, my mentality was because the first apartment building that I bought was, uh, I was at university. It was 45 minutes away from where I lived. I didn't have property management. I was a property manager. Okay. So every time there was a problem, I had to go and drive there like 45 right. minutes, you know, and just like, I, I did not like that. So the idea that I could get something that is uh, out of state or far away would not, uh, really didn't make sense okay. for me. So, uh, so that's why I was looking something that was very close by and all of that. But Later on, I mean, this is, this is what happened, where the transition happened. We kind of like started looking more and more into like, how would we make it work? If we were to do um, out of state, how would we make that work? Like, well, we would need to have this. Okay, let's find that. We need to have like a, a feet on the ground. We need to have a solid property management company. We need to have a contractor. Okay, well, let's find those people. Let's uh, interview them. <laughs> find criterias and build, build communication uh, and processes to make sure that we, we have what we want. But yeah, once yes. you make that, that shift, then, you know, then these things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a, a big mental leap. But then I know it really hit me because I have uh, one uh, single family house that's a rental in Sacramento and yeah. because it's closer and it's near where my parents live, I do drive by more often, but, there's nothing really you can do. I have a property manager managing that property. Yeah. Periodically, I'll drive by, you know, and I look at the house. It's still standing, hasn't burned down, and carry on my way. Yeah. Similar to uh, going to Dallas. I would go to Dallas sometimes for real estate conferences. And when I was there, I would drive by 
Uh, my house is in, in the Dallas market and same thing. I drive by, house yeah. is still standing. I can't go inside and look at it. So it really felt like the, uh, the, uh, I was being as active driving by a house in Sacramento a couple hours from where I live compared mm -hmm. to driving by a house in Dallas. So uh, yeah, if you have good property management and uh, you know, can do annual inspections and have good video and photographs, then it's, uh, it's very, very doable. Yeah. I think oh, the other thing too that I think where, why people are not doing the transition and uh, so there's a couple of things. I think one of them is that you kind of get, I don't, maybe I don't want to say lazy, but you kind of get comfortable in, uh, you get a paycheck every month. You, you know, you don't have to work too hard and you don't have, you know, you don't have to figure things out. But now when we're yeah. asking people to say, well, now you need to own apartment buildings or you need to own like single family rentals or mobile home park, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, now you have to figure things out you have to learn something new. You have yeah. to create a company. Now, you know, you have to figure out the accounting, you know, all that kind of stuff like that seems to be overwhelming for people. Yes. Uh, I, I agree that 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 can happen, um, and it is you know you are more active in your investment. That's that's a choice people take, and as long as they're consciously going into that, saying you know I'm willing to you know hand over my money to a financial advisor, mutual fund, yeah. knowing that it's going to cost me a lot in returns, and I'm going to have you know not have control over that, potentially not have cash flow, not have something that's going to appreciate, have some of the benefits of real estate. You can objectively say, I, I, I don't want to take on that additional work and burden then, uh, and really want to be lazy about it, and, but are willing yeah, to yeah. accept the cost, then that's a choice to make. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have to basically, you have to force yourself to say, well, this is the decision. Yes. Because passive and I think one income, thing I yeah, passive income, you know, this is something in, inevitable. I mean, you're, we're all going to need that at one point. We're going to want to stop working. Uh, and even in some, some downtime, some downtime in the economy, you don't know if you're going to have a job or not. But at least if you have some passive income that's coming in, uh, that can smooth, uh, smooth the, 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 these kinds of hard times. And then you don't have to take the next job right away because you you need to pay bills and you're going to lose your house. And so you can be a little bit more selective in your next job. And um, so, yeah, so that to me, that the passive income piece of it is something that is inevitable. So you should start working on that as soon as you can get that out of the way. And then you can work on You can still work if you want. Uh, yes. You know, but, you know, you may not have to. And it's it's funny. It's so uh, I always find it funny that people when they're when they look at somebody who does own investment properties or you know whether it's houses or apartments or whatever, they say, "Oh, guy, I wish I would have done that." Oh, it's so lucky those people have those assets now that they're older and yeah, they have exactly. the income generated and they bought them 20 years ago. So, you know, they know that they, they can see uh, a tangible uh, effect of, of how beneficial that is. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, they don't want to take that first leap into the beginning, but yeah, exactly. they started somewhere. Yeah. 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 And so for you, your first leap was in the Dallas Fort Worth uh, market. So what, what did you do in there? How did you get started and, in that market? Uh, well, I, I took a field trip there with the real estate guys and again, toured different neighborhoods, met quite a few different people. Uh, through them, I met a guy who was actually building new homes for investors. 
So he was able to pick up the land at a really great price during the downturn and was able to slowly build homes uh, for investors. So it was primarily a rental neighborhood, but through yeah. those, uh, through him, I was able to buy a couple different homes because he was doing some uh, seller financing on it. So it allowed me to kind of dive in, get a couple new homes to rent and, and, and those did well. And it was, uh, again, just amazing to me that um, again, no different than buying something locally, but I was able to have these uh, these homes that you know, all you know, pretty much met the one percent rent ratio. Yeah. And what I thought was a strong market, uh, we did have a little bit of turnover, but it was not not hard to find tenants to replace those, and it mm -hmm. uh, it was really working. Yeah. Oh, so that's good. So, how many properties did you end up buying with that uh, particular contractor? Uh, I did. I bought uh, three with him and and one uh, turnkey property from another provider. Okay, and then they were they were handling the property management piece of it, so you didn't have to uh, to worry about that. Uh, they uh, through the initial person that I bought the first three from, they had a relationship with a property manager, okay. so I, I used them to manage the properties. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, so what? So what happened after that? So the um, What's the next transition point for you? Well, right. So when I first started, I just had this idea, okay, if I just keep buying properties one at a time, eventually I'll be able to have yeah. enough to replace my income. Getting into that a little bit was like, okay, how long is this going to take? If I need you know, 20, 25,000 for each property, this is, I'm not going to be able to scale as, as quickly as I'd like to. Mm -hmm. And then uh, during that process was just in, when I was uh, building relationships with other investors, I started to meet other people putting together these crowdfunded uh, investments called real yeah. estate syndications where, yeah. uh, you know, instead of trying to go and buy an apartment building yourself or a group of single family homes or mobile home parks that you could pool yeah. investors money together yeah. and acquire bigger assets. So I started to uh, learn about that, attended a lot of conferences, joined some mentoring groups, began to talk to a lot of the people that I'd worked with friends and family about, what I was doing and uh, and what I found was that a lot of people have a desire to invest in real estate but don't want to do all of that research on looking at markets, looking at different properties, negotiating yeah. with the seller, dealing with the financing part of it. And I thought, oh, I can use my finance background mm -hmm. along with my passion for mm -hmm. real estate and put this together uh, into building a company to help limited partner investors get the benefits of real estate without doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Oh, so that's good. And then, so when you started looking then for, then you started looking for these mobile home parks kind of on, on your home, on your own, right? So you started kind of like looking at different markets, different, uh, so what was kind of like your, your criteria for the different, for the different markets? Because it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, right? Because I, the, the mobile home park, I, I looked at a lot of mobile home parks, but I never pulled the trigger on it because it's it seems a little bit, I, I didn't really understand kind of like, uh, they're a little bit outside the cities. They're not quite there. They, sometimes some of them are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so it's kind of hard to, to define what is a good market. For me, it was very hard to define mm -hmm. what's a good market for a mobile home park. So how did you, how did you define that? 
Uh, yeah, I agree with you. There is so much more variability in the mobile home park space versus versus apartments where mm. some of these parks were built many years ago on the outskirts of town. So uh, the first one well, of the first criteria I was looking at was looking for uh, landlord friendly state. So that yeah. kept, and, okay. and pricing so was reasonable. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, kept me away from the coast. And then my, the property managers that I work with, they manage parks about you know, a little over, I think 80 parks now in 15 or 16 states across the country. So I was looking in markets where they already had a presence yeah, yeah. so I could take advantage of crews that they had that do work in the parks. Uh, I want to be able to take advantage if they had managers that live close that I might be able to share some of those resources. Mm -hmm. So that led me to focus on states like uh, Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, Indiana. Uh, so, so that kind of at least gave me that criteria to focus on yeah. a few states. And then I just started to reach out to brokers looked at a lot of deals, a lot of different websites. There's uh, some commercial brokers that focus on 100% on mobile home parks yeah. and then other brokers that periodically get those listings. So just started you know, building those relationships, making a lot of phone calls, looking at a lot of deals, and then uh, also worked with my property managers looking at deals that would sometimes come across their desk. So uh, kind of then at that next level was looking at some of the same things that you'd look at uh, when I was looking at single family homes or even when I was uh, considering buying some small multifamilies was mm -hmm. what does the market look like? What is um, job growth, uh, diversification of employers and you know, okay, household yeah. income yeah, yeah. Uh, and then comparing uh, what the current mobile home park rents are in relation to apartments in the area. So, okay. uh, you know, if, if I knew that I could rent a mobile home for, uh, five or 600 and make the deal work. And that was in a market where maybe a two bedroom apartment would be eight or 900 or a, a three bedroom home might be a thousand or 1100. Then I knew that the market would be strong enough to support uh, renting the mobile homes in the say 450 to $600 range. Mm -hmm. But except that, so there's a couple of things too with the rent for the mobile home. So some of them, they own the mobile home. So they're just right. renting, they're just paying for utilities basically. And then the, the, the land, they're renting the land from you, right? So right. how do you compare that? How can you compare that with uh, existing rent in the area? And also typically the mobile home park, there's not, are, they don't have not necessarily like a comparable apartments close by that you can compare the rent with. So do you take, what do you think the how, how do you figure that out uh well it, it does depend on the market but the first parks that i bought in georgia that was in a town called milledgeville and it's about 55 60 000 people uh smaller town but there i would say uh, driving around there must have been 20 plus mobile home parks in this town plus several apartment buildings. So I did have some- Oh, so uh, you did have some comparables there, okay. Right, right, right. Um, and then I looked for some of the things that there's uh, some, uh, one of the things a lot of people in the mobile home park space look at is, is there a Walmart in town, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a Walmart or Walmart mm -hmm. Supercenter, if they've done that sort of demographic research to say that the town can support yeah, a that big, uh, department yeah. store like that. So mm -hmm. this town had a Walmart, it also had a Lowe's. So uh, you know, looking at that, that town to think, okay, wow. So you think it's only maybe 55, 60,000 people, but it's got those two businesses that are, uh, that are re required to keep the town going. Mm 
-hmm. And then just looking at other things about, again, diversity of employment. I looked at some parks that, like you had said, were way out in the middle of nowhere, 20, 30 miles from a Walmart uh, or other parks that might, might've only had one story, like one manufacturing plant. Yeah. Maybe it was a, a, a military base may have been the primary employer. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a diverse uh, income base or a, a diverse uh, economic base that would uh, continue to support uh, the ability to have tenants there, even if there was a downturn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, that but it is sense. interesting. I like the, the, uh, yeah, I like the Walmart area, and we kind of do something similar as well. I mean, so far everything you've said is pretty similar. I mean, we look at uh, landlord-friendly state. We look at uh, business diversity in terms of uh, the cities that are close by um, to make sure they're not reliant on only on one industry. Mm -hmm. um, we look at the rents in the area. So yeah, if you if you have a mobile park that's close to apartments and all of that, then you know and other mobile mobile home parks, then you can compare that for sure. Yeah. And the Walmart- it is, it, is, it is trickier for sure though, looking at, uh, like I said, this town had probably, I don't know, I'd say at least 20 mobile home parks. Mm -hmm. um, in the apartment space, typically apartments have a phone number and a sign outside and they have a name to them. Yeah. In the mobile home park world, oftentimes you don't see that. You'll just drive down the road and even one of the parks that I bought in, in this, this town uh, is just a couple acres and has about 25 houses on it. There's no sign, it's not names, there's no oh, really? number to call. So, so gathering the comparable information, it takes some detective work sometimes to actually uh, find out what the, what the rents are at the different parks. Okay, okay. And then you have to look at, uh, and then yeah, so the Walmart, I think it's a great idea as well, kind of like Walmart and these kinds of, um, of stores that kind of uh, anchors the town. So in the right. figure out, hey, if it's good, for, good enough for them, good enough for me, Right, right. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, they spend a lot more money on the marketing research than uh, than we do. Yeah, you may as well leverage that for sure. So that's it. That's a very good uh, good tip right there. Uh, and then, so you kind of have um, you, then you have the rent for the for the unit itself. So sometimes you you have you own the mobile home itself, and then you rent that just like an apartment, right, or a single family. Yes. Right. Yeah, so the park in Georgia was 71 spaces. Well, two parks that I bought about a mile from each other. And of the 71 spaces, 10 of the residents own their own home mm -hmm. and we rent the lot. The, uh, the rest of the homes that we acquired with the deal, we rent them similar to an apartment. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And then, uh, okay, so that's good. And then what you do with the park, so you buy the park and then, um, so you do some due diligence, obviously you're gonna look at, you know, kind of the, the, the state of the, in terms of the, the amount of rehab you want to do. You mm -hmm. want to do some, uh, I think you, you want to build a community. You want to make it look nice and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so that means if you buy a park that doesn't have a name, then you're just going to create a name uh, to uh, Todd's resort or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. So the, the two parks I bought in Georgia, one of them did have a name. There was a fence around the property and had a, a sign at the entrance. So uh, we're going to replace that and make the sign a little bit nicer. The other park, uh, again, was just along a street in this town and we're going to put a sign out there. So uh, we're going to, it didn't officially have a name, but we're going to give it one. Okay. Okay. So, so that's, that's part of it. So yeah. So did you just estimate the rehab just like every, everything else that um, needs to happen? And yeah, we went, yeah, we walked the park and there were, you know, there were some roads that needed to be repaired. We knew that there were certain 
uh, parts of the homes that need to be repaired. Some of the stairs were in disrepair. Yeah. Some of the mobile homes were missing skirting. Um, so yeah, so we could kind of tell doing, during our due diligence that there were some uh, infrastructure improvements that we needed yeah. to make. And the thing about these mobile home parks, to me, like the part of it is uh, operates kind of like apartment or single family rentals, mm -hmm. or, uh, and and sometimes homeowners association, I would guess. Like if if somebody owns their home and uh, it's in disrepair, do you have something to go back to and say, hey, you have to abide by the rules of the mobile home park? You have to your house needs to be painted uh, these kinds of colors, and you have to take care of this and that and all that. Do you have rules like that in the mobile home park? We do, yes. We don't have an HOA, but we do have lease agreements that yeah. the, the seller that we, uh, that we purchased the property from did not have those, did not have the cleanest records in terms of having lease agreements for all of the residents. Yeah. So we had to put those in place. So yeah, so we do have uh, some control over having the people that own their own homes, make sure that their yards are still clean and that their homes is, is upkept nicely that keeps the park looking good. Okay. And what's the recourse? Like if they refuse to do that or they don't have the money to do that. Um, so what's the recourse on it? You can't, can you just evict them and then the, um, that, that does get challenging. If, if there was somebody who, uh, you know, wasn't maintaining their yard, but we, but they were still paying their rent. We would probably try to work out something with them, or maybe we would try to help them, whether it might be, you know, hiring a dumpster to help them get rid of some of the debris around their house. Um, Cause it's worth it for us, even if it would cost us the, uh, you know, even if we had to invest in painting their house or, uh, you know, powder coating the roof or something to make it look nicer, it might be worth it for us to do that again, just to kind of yeah. keep the, the community looking good if they were they were a tenant that was you know regularly paying their rent yeah, and keeping yeah. up to date with that okay so yeah so that's kind of that was a question i had because yeah if you had uh, i mean you can't just take the you can't just take the house out of there and then uh, even though they say mobile home most of them they're not that mobile they're not they're not and you can't if somebody is not paying their rent on the lot then they they can be evicted from their home even if even though they own it so that is one of the benefits of a tenant owned home model home model is that the it's more likely that they'll stay and make that payment because they don't want to they don't want to lose their house so yeah. um that yeah definitely is, is one benefit of that model versus the, the park owned home model where yeah, the returns overall can be higher yeah yeah, I mean, when the homeowner, I mean, the, the owner of the mobile home is uh, works well and takes care of the home and all of that, I mean, that's that's fantastic. You know, you don't have to worry about right. maintaining that house uh, and you get paid. And then the things that you get paid on it's very, are very reliable, like utilities, services, and the land. So mm -hmm. very fairly low maintenance. And it gets split uh, amongst all the all the tenants or all the, uh, the residents of the so yes right of, right but it's kind of like it's always a situation where you know things don't work out uh it's a little bit more headache but like, like you suggested if you just say you just help them out and just paint paint the house or help clean up the yard or something like that, that yeah and, and they, you know, somebody has a uh, you know, i don't know like a refrigerator or old tires or a, you know old appliance where maybe they don't have the money to haul it off to the dump or the yeah. uh, equipment to haul it off if we can you know, do that to help them 
move those out. It would probably help the rest of the community as well if they if anybody else in the in the park mm-hmm. has things they need to clean out and it, it benefits everybody and it's not not that big of an investment. Okay. The um then the the other advantage that I had in, in terms of uh, that I see in a mobile home park is that sometimes there's some extra space that is not uh, is not being um, so that you can you can basically do development additional development bring the services to the areas open up new lots for mobile home residents mm-hmm. to to go in there. Yeah, that that is. I mean, the, the parks that I have do not have that extra space, but. It, it was not uncommon to see parks as I was you know, researching a lot of parks, either see uh, extra land that could be developed for mobile home parks or extra space that somebody had just put some self-storage units on. Yeah. So um, I, it would be nice to get into one of those deals in the future where you're getting some additional land yeah. for future development along with the park. Yeah. How hard or easy is it to get uh, tenants uh, to go and move into a mobile home park that, that you a mobile home that you would own actually is it is it fairly easy is it the same as a rental or is it like a, a different uh, kind of group? Uh, yeah it really does depend on the market you know there's um, uh, just like in the single family home space I man like Memphis is probably a good example where it's just historically been more of a, a renter community mm-hmm even though the price point to purchase a house is low compared to a lot of other yeah. markets. Similar in the, in the mobile home park space, it does depend on the market. There are some markets where there's again, just a lot more of a renter mentality where even if you're able to offer a home to somebody on kind of a rent credit program where if they you know, pay a little bit additional each, each month uh, over mm-hmm. a couple of year period, they would earn enough to own their home. Uh, some people just would prefer not to. They like the flexibility, they don't want to deal with having to pay for maintenance issues, whether it's a water heater or toilet or air conditioning unit or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So, so it does depend on the market. I know there's a lot of operators that I know that have great success with converting renters to homeowners in the mobile home park space. So it, it definitely is market specific. Okay. And then, so that's bringing renters to a home that you already have. What about like, that's, that must be a little bit unusual for to get and access people that want to put their home on, on your, on your uh, uh, park, right? In your park. Is that, that's a different kind of marketing that you must have to do in that case. Uh, yeah, that would be. And we, we haven't uh, d- done that approach yet, but um, uh, again, because a lot of it is, is market specific and demand in this, mm-hmm. uh, in the town, like I'll use Milledgeville as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, we only have a few empty lots on our, at our park. So uh, we had not, we have not had anybody approach us to say that, Hey, I'd like to, you know, bring my mobile home and, and put it into your park. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it does happen. We just haven't seen it yet in our parks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And then in terms of financing, any kind of uh, special concern issues, just to, is, what kind of loan is it? And uh, any, is it difficult to get a, any kind of financing for that? Um, it's, it's not as easy as it is to get financing it as it is in the, uh, in the apartment space. One of the good things about the mobile home park space and what happened with this park in Georgia is we were able to get seller financing for the park. Oh, wow. uh, once the loan values get over a million dollars, you can start 
uh, working with uh, some of the larger banks to get financing. Uh, below that level, it is more challenging and it's working with more local and regional banks mm-hmm. that, that understand the space and lend in it. So yeah. we, with the parks in Georgia, we had approached a, a couple banks and we're working with them. Loan to values are a little bit lower than um, uh, in the in the apartment space, we were kind of looking at a sixty five percent LTV in the park. Okay. During that during that process, we were also talking to the seller and seeing if they were interested in possibly carrying a note on the property. Explain to them some of the benefits of you know the capital gains treatment and uh, you know at worst case if we defaulted they would end up taking back over a park that they already knew how to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we were through the process we were able to negotiate really great terms, uh, interest only, uh, financing terms with the seller uh, to carry back a note on the property. So it smoothed out the uh, the closing process. Uh, we didn't have to go through appraisal or kind of all the, the hoops we'd have to go through with the bank. And um, and again, got great terms from the seller. So, uh, so in this space, the ability to get seller financing is uh, better than in the apartment space. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of the, uh, what, so what did the typical numbers look like? Any kind of, uh, you know, in terms of the amount of the rent, the operating expense that you can expect from that? Is there some kind of, uh, some numbers that you're looking towards or that you, uh, you kind of use as a benchmark? Yeah, well, I was looking at um, uh, some of it. I, I was starting to often compare it to a rent ratio standpoint. Looking yeah. at, um, especially when I looked at the vacant lots we were bringing uh, that we were bringing houses into. So we purchased uh, just over the last couple of months three refurbished homes. So yeah. there's actually mobile home flippers. So there's companies out there that yeah. uh, buy homes that are uh, in a park potentially that have been neglected or in need of repair. They'll buy those for let's say two or three thousand dollars. They'll take them out of the park and spend five or six thousand dollars fixing them up, and then they'll sell them to people like me that just want to buy a turnkey uh, house to put on the property. So we bought a, yeah. a three uh, late nineties, uh, about nine hundred and fifty square feet, three bedroom mobile homes, and put them onto the park for uh, all in about twenty thousand dollars. Okay, and and we'll rent those for six hundred. So uh, when you look at the rent ratio compared to single family homes or apartments, do you get a, a 3x rent ratio is, yeah, is pretty good. That's very good. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then in terms of the overall park, uh, the, uh, so w- how much is the, in terms of operating expenses, like in terms of revenue compared to revenue, what's the... Uh, yeah, you know, when we're, uh, when we kind of assumed the first year I was building a, a, a five year model for these, uh, mm-hmm. for this, this park. Um, it was a, a syndicated deal. I raised money for investors. So I had a five year plan, assuming we'd exit the park by that time to return everybody's capital. Mm-hmm. And then there's, we're, we're starting off in year one, probably at, I would say maybe 55 to 58 percent operating expense going down to the high 30s. Okay. Uh, out at year five. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah, fifty-five is a little bit, a little bit high. But. It is. Yeah, and and we assumed that there was going to be turnover, which there yeah. was. Uh, mobile home park space always has a lot of interesting ways that they're being run. The seller that we purchased the property from only accepted cash from the tenants. 
and wasn't always enforcing the rules. So when yeah. we came in and said, okay, everybody, here's your new lease. We're not accepting cash. It's check or money order only. Uh, that caused some turnover in the park. So we kind of expected uh, occupancy to dip. When we purchased the park, occupancy was around in the low 80s. Now it's around the mid 60s mm-hmm. as we're kind of turning over some of the uh, less desirable tenants and uh, bringing better tenants who can follow the rules and pay their rent on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the, uh, there's a, I mean, there must be a lot of variability because you have you you could have some mobile home parks that have they own a lot of the homes and they rent them out, and mm-hmm. others the the mix is more towards uh, the the actual resident owning their own house. Yes. That changes everything, right? So. Right, right, right. So the in a a situation like mine where we own most of the homes and revenue is going to be higher and yeah. the operating expenses are going to be higher for the maintenance yeah. uh, in the tenant owned home model. Yeah. Lower revenue, like in our park, the, uh, or our park in the market, the lot rent only is between say 175 and 200 a month. Whereas the rent of the home is going to be between 400 and 600 mm-hmm. uh, depending on the size and the age of the home. So um, yeah, so higher revenue, higher expenses versus uh, lower revenue and lower maintenance. Yeah. So what are some of the, so somebody wants to, is interested in, uh, in investing in mobile home park. Um, so what are kind of your, your lessons learned and your recommendations that, uh, or advice you would give them? Um, I would say, you know, educate yourself as much as possible. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, Kevin Bupp, has a great mobile home park podcast. Uh, Jefferson Lilly does as well. And uh, I think just hearing them talk about all the different uh, kind of aspects of the business over time and when they interview guests who actually own parks, hearing those stories over time gave, you know, gave me a great background. Uh, there's also um, a guy by the name of Frank Rolf who uh, has this mobile home park boot camp that he runs. And it's a three day uh, over the weekend uh, boot camp, just kind of going, you know, nuts and bolts into the, all the detail about owning and operating parks. And he's the fifth largest operator of parks in the country. So that's a great introduction to people uh, if they wanted to hear everything mm-hmm. about, um, yeah, everything about running mobile home parks. And then after that, then it's kind of really taking a look and trying to figure out how hands-on you want to be if you're if you're fortunate enough to live in a market where the the numbers make sense and you can buy a good park and you want to stay close to it and manage it yourself and yeah. uh, potentially uh, potentially have an on-site manager that you can interface with mm-hmm. that's great if you're in a market where the numbers are uh, don't make sense or it's a very uh, tenant-friendly state mm-hmm. then it's just making sure that you've built a relationship with a good property manager who can take care of things for you yeah and the the funny thing too is that uh, these mobile home parks sometimes you, they're just uh, you don't pay attention to them they're they're everywhere I mean you don't even here like I, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area Peninsula and then just south here on 101 like 20 minutes away there are two mobile home parks mm-hmm. uh, that are there there's one in uh, across towards the ocean and near Half Moon Bay. I mean, you drive by them, you don't realize they oh, oh, there's a mobile home park here. Like, what? yes, right. And then, um, so yeah, so pay attention. There are there are there. Uh, and then, if you're looking to uh, to invest in these mobile home parks, 
then um, yeah, they're just everywhere. The numbers may not make sense, you know. Uh, I don't know if you looked at anything in California for mobile home parks, if they make sense here. But. Um, you know, they they can. Um, the, you know, the cap rates are, are lower for sure. So yeah. you're counting on uh, counting on appreciation, um, and depending on where the and, and if you can find a park where uh, you know potentially the, the rent's been kept far under market, that there may be some some ability to add value. Yeah. Trouble is that there's also rent control in the mobile home park space. Oh yeah. So right. there, yeah. So it could be also difficult to uh, to kind of add value yeah. if they've been neglected or uh, or if the uh, previous owners haven't kept up over time yeah with rents. yeah this is one of the one of the reasons also where we don't invest in uh, in california with <laughs> with rent control and everything yes um, yeah okay so that's good in terms of education any kind of uh yeah any do you specifically like lessons learned things that you say hey you know this is something that you need to watch out for for the new people that want to invest um, I would say, yeah, just ask as many questions as possible. Maybe this is, you know, similar to, you know, anybody, whether you're buying a, a you know, home or an apartment, you know, assume that the seller isn't going to be telling you everything. So ask mm -hmm. as many questions as possible, uh, get your inspections done. Um, we had phase one inspections done from a, uh, just to do environmental testing. Uh, we've had land surveys done uh, just to okay. make sure that the, the park is, um, uh, you know that the, uh, the boundaries of the park are are what they said. Uh, one of the other things that we, that we did that was important was during our due diligence trip, we went to the police department and just asked them, "Hey guys, hey, we're thinking of buying this park in town. Have you had any issues there? What do you you know? Do you are you aware of it?" Just to get a sense if there's any problems. Uh, similarly, we went to the code enforcement department and just asked if there were any any outstanding issues that they knew of and in a smaller town people they know the park they a lot of, a lot of times know the owner so mm -hmm. you can get a lot of good information by uh, talking to the people at the city level so that's something i definitely recommend okay yeah that's very good um any and then so you are also looking for uh, investors on, on your deals is that correct so uh yes yeah so what kind of so tell tell us a little bit about kind of like how an investor would uh, would work with you uh, and uh, yeah yeah so like with you know with the park in Georgia for example we uh, raise money from limited partner investors and we we do five hundred six B syndications okay, uh, where we'll take accredited and non accredited investors mm -hmm. typically at uh, fifty thousand dollars per share to get in the deal. And those investors, again, get to take advantage of the benefits of real estate, like the depreciation will flow through uh, to the investors based on the amount they invest in the project. And, um, and then it's my responsibility to go out and you know, find the deals, find the markets, uh, find, find the best parks, and then manage the asset on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And take care of all the uh, investor communication, you know, issuing the K-1s, and uh, coordinating potential refinance and then eventual sale of the parks. Mm -hmm. So, so I, that's good. Is there like a, a five-year exit, or is uh, for the investment? Yeah, that's yes. I, I I try to model most of my uh, plans uh, assuming a five-year exit. Mm -hmm. Any shorter than that, and it might not be enough time to 
stabilize the park enough to increase the net operating income. So like with the parks in Georgia, you know, we're going to infill some of the park, uh, some of the vacant lots, fix some of the, the, the homes that are on the park and that, that need to be rehabbed and get rent closer to market. That could take a couple of years. Then it's nice to have a couple of years of uh, operating income history. And then it can be a point where you can either look to refinance the park or start to put it on the market, hoping that by year five, you'll be able to sell any longer than that. And, you know, for a lot of investors, that just uh, seems like too long a uh, time to have their money tied up. So five years seems to be a good sweet spot to have sort of a beginning to end for the project. Yeah. Are your investors able to stay long-term like if they want to enjoy the passive income or the cash flow? Is that something that's feasible for them or is this really an exit at, one, at year five? And yes, yeah. If, if, we, if we sell the park, then we would uh, do cash out all the investors. And, okay. uh, but on, and the refi, on the refi, would you buy them out? Is it a... Um, if, if we're able to refinance, then we would just return the, the, their initial capital to mm -hmm. them and they can stay in part of the deal and we'd you know, essentially be in the deal with no money at that point. Oh, okay. okay. So what's the uh, IRR that, um, for a typical investment? Yeah, so the, the park in Georgia, uh, the five-year IRR was around 18% that mm -hmm. we're projecting. Um, uh, so that's kind of what I was looking for. Uh, and again, every, every park's a little bit different. So many variables that go into it, especially when the yeah. park is a, a big turnaround park where the cash flow is, is smaller in the first couple of years. Um, but when I'm trying to put projects together, I'm looking between, I would say between 16 and 18% over a five year period. Okay. Well, that sounds, that, yeah, that sounds very reasonable. So you're looking for one specific, uh, at one specific project right now, right? In, the one in Georgia, that's the one you're looking for investor or? Uh, no, that, that one actually closed. We, we oh, purchased okay. that one um, last year and then we're uh, yeah, running that park right now. So we've raised money from investors for that one. Okay. All right. Uh, any, uh, let's see if I had any other questions here. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, all I had. Any, anything else you want to share with? Uh, with the listeners? Um, well, yeah, I would say, uh, I know people, uh, as I've been talking to a lot of investors over the last few weeks since this pandemic has started, they're questioning whether they should you know, stay on the sidelines, whether they should invest. And I think with, with real estate, it's always, you know, you don't want to invest at a, at a, at a peak of a market in, in assets that don't cash flow or don't have that, that potential to but, you know, people always say, like, when's the best time to invest in real estate? And it's like, you know, now's the best time or 20 years ago. Was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And if you, I know a lot of people are, uh, think, oh, I need to stay on the sidelines and wait for the right deal. Uh, unfortunately, that when people take that attitude, sometimes, you know, you're never going to hit the, 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 the very bottom. Yeah. Uh, and then you might end up just having that money sit on the sidelines instead of, instead of getting it, to, instead of putting it to work. Exactly. So I would just encourage investors to, you know, continue to look at opportunities and decide if the, if the fundamentals look sound. And it seems like the the, uh, the assets aren't overpriced uh, based on the way things have been the last couple of years. Yeah. That it is worthwhile, uh, you know, putting that capital to work. You know, in my opinion, versus putting it in the stock market and just uh, you know continuing to yeah. continuing to watch that fluctuation. Yeah, so I, I, I agree. I mean, it's always a good time to invest in real estate. I think uh, people want to time the market in everything that you do. They don't want to overpay yes. stuff like that. But if you have a, a very long 
uh, investment horizon, if you're looking at 20 years or 30 years down the road or even 10 years, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, buying it like $2,000 or $5,000 cheaper today is not going to make a difference 10 years down the road. And you're going to miss out. If you don't invest, you're going to miss out on, uh, on the returns on your money today so he's just going to stay in the bank and do nothing so yes yes i i, I agree that that's for sure um i think it, and it's good to, you know in the situations to you know question the people putting those deals together if you're investing passively mm -hmm. just to ask the sponsor and make sure you understand yeah. what their assumptions are in terms of rent growth and occupancy and uh, what they uh, project the, the future value might be because that that plays into the picture a lot you don't want somebody to be too aggressive in terms of what they, they project those returns might be. But um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, again, I think we, we touched on how the, the, all the benefits of real estate, whether it's cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, uh, so, so yeah. many things are uh, you know, a lot better than investing in the stock market. And yeah. in these group investments to actually, well, I invested in uh, group investments myself. And just this idea that kind of like I knew and I was putting my, $50,000 into this investment. I was a, you know, a 5% owner, whatever it was in like this piece of, of real asset versus, uh, you know, paper asset investing in wall street. It was, uh, yeah. it was nice to know that I could talk to the sponsors and actually had a like, piece exactly. of a tangible property. You have a little bit more, you have direct communication with the sponsor. Uh, yes. What's going on. You have more control. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I tried to talk yes. to Bill Gates and, uh, you know, no luck, huh? off and telling them how to run their company. They didn't, they didn't appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to listen to me. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know either. <laughs> and you know, things never also, things never always, they're not, never going to be perfect. I mean, right now, yeah, we have, it's kind of an interesting situation in terms of the economy and COVID-19, but the interest rate is very low. Uh, mm -hmm. So this and the the banks are lending. I mean, they have a zero cash reserve uh, requirement. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Fed reserve rate is low. It, yeah, things might get lower. It might go negative, mm -hmm. but um, the uh, you know things are. This part of it is good, and then other part of it, you know, not so good. But if you even it out over like a long uh, long period of time then mm -hmm. you know you're gonna be kicking yourself you didn't invest today right right and that's what the thing i love about the mobile home park space is the the uh, place that it uh, stands in the affordable housing play is you know people say oh wow you know those people that are living in your park do they, they lose their jobs what's going to happen and you know at our price point of between again say 400 to 600 dollars if somebody's yeah. making minimum wage or if it's a couple making minimum wage or uh, you know, if they have to be on unemployment or even disability for a time, they're still very affordable versus somebody that uh, might have been living in an A-class apartment, moving down to a B to a C, exactly. um, uh, you know, even, uh, even in an economic downturn. Mm -hmm. These are still very affordable places for people to live and, and desirable in some ways, too, because they're not, you know, they have a three bedroom home for their family, that there's no walls on, the, on either side or above or below, and they can drive up to their house. It's more affordable and it can be more desirable than, a, than yeah. an apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same for us, too. Like we invest in B and C class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, if the economy goes down, the people are going to be pushed down to these, uh, these types of properties and that are very affordable. And, uh, yeah. So it feels, yeah, feels great. great for us. Yeah.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, so I know you mentioned a few links for the uh, for some educational material and podcasts and stuff like that. So uh, I will get the links and then I'll put them in the comments. Okay, uh, great. Also, thank you. Yeah, and we'll also put a link for your your company, Blue Elm Investment. And uh, so if people want to reach out to you and uh, get on in lined up for your next investment opportunity, then, um, you know, get start communicating with you and uh, so that you, they're aware of the next deal coming through. That's great. I love to love to talk real estate and educate people about real estate and mobile home parks. So, uh, yeah, feel free. I'd love to talk to any of your listeners that would be interested in learning more. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Todd. Great. All right. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.